this is the case of Ian Brady. He was a Scottish serial... I can't fucking say Scottish. <laughs> You've got to include Myra in the introduction as well. I fucking will. Alright, calm yourself, love. Okay, ready? Yeah. This is the case of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Ian was a Scottish serial killer who murdered multiple children with his girlfriend. So, um, Ian Brady, uh, he was a very troubled child from the very beginning. Um, he was born to Peggy Stewart, but she was very poor, so she had to give him away, which is just so unfortunate, you know? So sad. But, um, he was given away to some foster parents, and she would come and see her, uh, his. Uh, bleh, 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 fuck. <laughs> she would come and see her son every Sunday, I think it was. Um, Ian never knew that this lady was his mum. She, he was just sort of like, I don't know who you are, but you know, family friend, I guess. Eventually, he did find out when he was around twelve which didn't end up very well, but, yeah. Um. Oh shit, I'm going to need to talk. Um, do I say more? Brady was a lonely, difficult child, and despite his best attempts of his adoptive behaviour, he was very prone to temper tantrums, and he was just a very angry child in general. He had a fascination with the Nazis. I, I really don't know why. I, I mean, I would love to ask the man, but he's dead. Exactly. And he died nearly four years ago. So, uh-huh. R.I.P. Marjorie <laughs> And this was when he began a career in petty crime and burglary, which resulted in his return to live with his mother and stepfather, Patrick Brady, at age of 16, to avoid any sentence in prison. Now, you did think any normal person's like, oh, well, I've been sent away from Glasgow, so I'm not going to commit any more crimes. But this wasn't the case with Ian. He was soon back into his old ways, just petty crimes all the time, burglaries, you know how it is. And then he got sent to prison when he was 17 years old. And he didn't get out until 1957. So we love that for Ian. <laughs> we do. And then um, following his release in November 1957, he became very much of a loner. He didn't really have anyone or anything anymore. So he, from leaving prison, he was employed in many different manual jobs for a short period of time until he eventually took his job as a stock clerk with a Manchester firm and this is where he met his girlfriend, Myra Hindley, as she was employed as a secretary in 1961. And since meeting, since um, Myra met Ian, she was drawn to him, seeing the romance and intelligence within his aloof. And eventually, he asked her out after writing all her intense feelings into a diary. And for their first date, they went to go see the Nuremberg trials and he eventually encouraged her to read the works of Adolf Hitler. Now, as a normal person, you'd be like, 
Ian, your political views, I don't agree with them. I'm not going to lie to you. But she was just so in love with him. Just like, Ian, I love you so much, dude. Which is very odd because Hindley was actually raised a Catholic. A Catholic. And you'd think any other Catholic would just be like, it's a bit weird, but okay. Um, originally, girls around her age just had the same lifestyle, you know, marry a man, have a kid, just live your life like that, cook clean, stay at home. Apart from very, that, very typical housewife. Apart from that, there's not much to it. But when Myra met Ian, she was like, see, this, I want to be different. I don't want to be me. So, obviously, she was Catholic and honestly it's hard to say whether Ian sort of influenced her behaviour or if she was just destined to be like that because her dad was actually I wouldn't say he was abusive he was just very firm with her um, she lived near some sort of park and some boys were like they were beefing her you know getting big to small little Myra Hindley she came home crying and her dad was like Next time you see these boys, you need to sort them out. Um, Self-defence classes with her dad. I'm not really sure why, but she basically beat the shit out of these boys and they never came back again. So, I don't know, maybe that has something to do with it, but I'm Mm -hmm. I'm waffling now, so. Well, for Brady to actually recognise that Maya was actually his soulmate, he tested her blind allegiance by pretending to actually plan a robbery and was gratified when she took all the steps necessary to actually execute the plan for him without question. And this is when he realised they were actually soulmates who could assist him to make his perverted ideas of pain and pleasure into a natural reality. And this is where it leads on to July 12th of 1963 of their first murder. So, more or less... Ian Brady was uh, hooked up on the idea of a perfect murder. I'm not really sure what you call a perfect murder because how can killing someone be perfect? I don't know, but 16-year-old Pauline Reed, she was on her way to a dance and she was going with her mates, but they didn't want to go anymore. But Myra would come in the van and Ian would be behind on his bike. Every time he saw someone, he wanted to, you know, kill her. Um, he would flash his lights in the swing mirrors and Mari would stop and she'd be like I've lost my glove on Saddleworth Moor if you can help me find it I'll give you a lift to the dance and Pauline was like yeah I'll do that no issue there obviously Ian followed they went to the the, the moor obviously it was at night time um, she was beaten raped and stabbed before being buried on the moor now, Hindley said she has nothing to do with this, but do you really believe that? If she was so in love with this man, I find it very hard to believe she just sat in the van and did nothing. But she was buried, and then she was dead. So, well, that's the end of that. Well, <laughs> four months later, following the Pauline murder, on November 23rd, 1963, 12-year-old John Kilbride disappeared from the visit... From the... From the market of 
that's it, of the market in Ashton under Lee. Uh, and he was actually never to be seen again. No one knows what happened to him. So basically, more story on John Kilbride. He would go up to this market, I think it was every Saturday, and he would just sort of go around and be like, do you need any help in your market? And sometimes they'd be like, yes, sometimes they'd be like, no. So everyone in the market sort of knew John. And his mum expected him home by seven every night. Obviously, John didn't come home. His mates were like, well, we haven't seen him. And there he was, he was gone. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> then, for the third murder they executed, on June 16, 1964, 12-year-old Keith Bennett disappeared while on his way to his grandmother's house. That is a Red Riding Hood story right there. Killed by the big bad wolf. It's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> so, basically... He disappeared. Hmm? Sorry. You carry on. Basically, same old, same old with this Keith Bennett. I've lost my glove once. I don't work more. Can you help me? He gets in the van with Ian. Not really sure why you do that, but just, wow, I can't, I can't question it. Um, so they're on the way to this mall. Obviously, Ian does this thing, beats him, rapes him, everything. Don't really know what uh, Myra did because she won't tell us, and she can't tell us because she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but that happened. Uh, but his disappearance wasn't noted until the next day because his grandmother was like, well, I don't know where Keith is, but he must just be at his mum's. And then the mum was like, well, I don't know where Keith is, he must be at his grandmother's. And that was the end of Keith. <laughs> then, on the afternoon of the Boxing Day holiday in 1964, 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey <laughs> disappeared from the local fairground and again a huge police effort but no clues was found um a load of volunteers got involved and no one actually knew what happened to her awful shame so you must you're probably asking yourself how did all these murders come to the end then like if no one found that it was them how did they know so um myra's sister I've got no idea what her name is, but she, uh, she was, uh, she wasn't married. She was engaged to a man called David Smith. Now, um, a lot of the time, it would be Myra meets up with her sister, Ian meets up with David because I, I, they just sort of got on. Ian was impressed by David's willingness to rob banks and whatnot. They were all sort of the same. But, but, David was like, obviously talking to Ian, and Ian was like, would you ever do a murder? Like, do you believe I'd murder someone? David was like, no, you wouldn't murder someone, just till your beans, Ian. And Ian was like, okay then, come by my house tomorrow. And uh, Myra went over to David's house, and she knocked, I think she asked for... Um, I think she asked for sugar, but uh, she was like, David, come over. Um, but whilst David was on his way, Ian was down at a train station and he sees Edward Evans and brings him home and basically is like to David, watch this, and kills Edward in front of uh, David. And David's like, oh, oh. 
Oh, oh fuck. It's about to go down. Well, I don't know what I've just seen, but I am just going to leave now. So David leaves and he tells Myra's sister what's just happened. And then Myra's sister's like, bloody hell, this is, this is not good. So they wait uh, the night and they go up to a phone box and they tell the police. And that was the end of Ian Brady's murders and Myra. Tragic, really. Such a shame. Then, shortly after that phone call, police and reinforcements arrived. I can't speak. Arrived at Brady's house and found the body of Evans in the upstairs bedroom and arrested Brady immediately. Brady claimed that he had been an argument between himself, Evans, and Smith, and he got out of hand. Denying that Hilly had anything to do with the murder, she remained at liberty until four days later when police found a document in his car describing in detail how she and Brady had planned to carry out the murder. So, another thing. Um, Brady, he, he was smart, but he wasn't smart enough. Um, so, if... Ian hadn't have mentioned that all these bodies were buried on a moor, Saddleworth moor. He would have only been in prison for, what, a couple of years? But David was like, Saddleworth moor, there's bodies there. They found some. It's like, well, Ian, this must have been you. It's clearly you. He's like, yeah, it was me. <laughs> Lol. It was me. And the bodies the naked body of Leslie Ann Dowley because it was assumed that she was raped was why are we laughing? No. Was found on October tenth in nineteen sixty seven and then eleven days later, so October twenty first, um John Kilbride's body was then found. Although most of the bodies were found, they had never actually found the body of Keith Bennett, so she's on that moor somewhere. Keith Bennett is still there, so if you find him, guys. Yeah, free up my driller, Keith Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> the evidence, after for the trial and everything, the evidence linked Brady and Hindley with John Kilbride's murder. Um, the evidence against him for that was not strong enough and proved significance to charge them with the result that they had to charge the murders of Edward Evans and Leslie Ann Dowley and John Kilbride altogether. The bodies of the two other victims could not be found, though, and no charges were brought for those murders. Hinley and Brady were brought to the trial of Chester Assigns on April 29, 1966, where they pleaded not guilty to every single charge, which I think we all knew they were guilty in the end. Not guilty. Wow. Um, on May 6, 1966, Brady was then found guilty for the murders of Leslie Ann Dowley, John Kilbride and Edward Evans, while Hindley was found guilty for the murders of Leslie Ann Dowling and Edward Evans, and also for harbouring Brady, which she was that in love with him. She turned into a psychopath. She got sick in the head. And in the knowledge that he had killed John Kilbride, that was another charge added to the thing, they were both jailed for life with a minimum recommend, recommended sentence of 30 years for what they had known as the Moore's murders. Ian was actually sent to um, Ashworth Psychiatric Hospital. Um, I, I have no idea how long he was in there for, but he eventually died of cancer. Um, 
his dying wish was to be sprinkled over the moor, which is a bit creepy, I'm not going to lie to you. But this Ian was so in denial that there was anything wrong with him. He was just... Oh, he was delusional, I'm not going to lie to you. From from the get-go, you could tell he was... He was not good He's a nutcase, basically. He is a nutcase. So that is the story of Ian Brady and Mara Hindley. Bye, bitches. Thank <laughs> you.